lot of people may not agree with it, but I think all creativity really has a thread of storytelling running through it because we, as, as human beings, we're, we're natural storytellers, whether we're passing down family histories or information, or you're just talking with your buddies over beers at the bar, you know, whatever it is, we're hardwired. Something within us is made to share stories, to share information and communicate. Inspiration, creative people, problem solving, imagination, discovery, thinking outside of the box. Welcome to Inspiris Audio Magazine, a podcast focusing on creativity, inspiration, and imagination. Hello, and welcome to Inspiris Audio Magazine. I'm your host, Spencer Webster. Key West, Florida is a magical place for me, and in 2019, my wife and I decided we wanted to winter over there to experience the people, the island culture, and the nightlife. But we understood we needed to offset our output of cash by finding jobs. I enjoyed the work and the customers, but sometimes the pool might be an hour worth of work before I could get it clean. So I put in my earbuds and listened to music and podcasts. My next guest produced one of those podcasts. He's a photographer, writer, drummer, a father, and a husband. His program inspired me. His approachable voice led me to realize that my own podcast was something I could aspire to. And I think that after listening to my guest, David Swedek, you may come away with the desire to get out there and find your own dream. And isn't that what creativity is all about? And now, on to the show. Hello, sir. Hey. Glad you're finally getting rolling. I was listening to a few of the episodes over the last few days here. Sounding good. I appreciate that a lot coming from you. You, you definitely have been an inspiration for me. As you may, have, you may have noticed, my first question is almost always, tell me your elevator autobiography. What's mm. the one-minute sketch of who David Swedek is? Yeah. It's, it's the only one that's made me nervous about this whole question process, because I don't know. <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> well, okay, then. <laughs> All right, well, we'll just move past that for a moment. I get the sense that you have a very rich life. What is a day in the life of David Swedek? Y- you know, I, I don't do this for a living. I work a day job. I, I work as a loan officer in a small local credit union. That's, that's my day job. That, and then I come home and I'm a father to two wonderful children and, and my wife, of course. Well, I'm not a father to her, but um, it's a family life. And then the, the podcast and the creativity, all of that happens after eight o'clock at night. You know, we get the kids to bed and, and then that's when I can come down to my office. I write, I record a lot. I, I do my photography work on the weekends. I get up early before anyone else is up even and I go shoot sunrises and different stuff like that and come home as they're waking up and then just fit it around it and it's really just kind of no different than that guy who goes and tinkers on a car after his wife and kids go to bed you know or whatever it might be it's just that for me that's my creative time I can jump in and tackle probably way too many hobbies that's that's the problem I have well that's a problem (laughs) that I have as well and my wife is just consigned herself to this like, oh, Spencer's <laughs> gone to his cave. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. How does the love of outdoors and a strong work ethic fulfill you? Mm. You know, outdoors for me, I, I grew up here in, in far northern Minnesota. I'm only about, oh, I don't know, hour and a half, hour, depending on where I go from the Canadian border. So I'm, I'm way up north and out in the country. And I spent every waking minute I could as a kid outside, whether it was exploring out in the woods and hunting and fishing and all of that. 
or just working in the garden with my grandpa or my dad or whoever, digging a trench for an outdoor wood furnace, all that kind of stuff. And I think being that it started at such a young age, it made me, I don't know, I guess the best way to put it, it made me appreciate the value of when you're in the middle of that work and you're, you're not feeling it, you hate it, but you know that you're going to eat all that garden goodness at the end of the summer, you're going to get that fresh, you're going to see the fruits of your, your labor basically. And the same with the hunting, you put in all that time hiking miles and miles, scouting area out and doing all this stuff. And then you're prepared for season, you know, and I think that's to me the biggest connection, but nature to me is also where I go to get centered. Some people like spas and massages and some people lean heavy on, on religion and things like that. To me, nature is my religion. When I need to clear my head and de-stress, it's, it's a hike in the woods that's going to do it for me every time. It's just, you're in all of that natural beauty. There's no way to carry stress and anger or anything when you're surrounded by that, it, to me anyways. And that's, that's to me where it's had the biggest impact. And that's where my mind can open up. And it sounds, I guess, as I'm saying this, uh, a little bit hippie-ish, and I don't mean it that way, but it's where I can really just relax. And then the, the creativity starts flowing. The wheels start turning. Well, what if I did this? And projects start forming and things like that. It's just really the quietness of nature that, that gets to me. I've got an interesting story to share with you. My brother, yeah. he, he lives in Southern Illinois, right in sweet corn country. And he is one of those people that he gets out into nature and he, he says, they don't call it, I'm going on a kill. I'm going on a hunt because right. you might not come home with a deer. You might not come oh. home with a Venice, a pheasant or whatever. He goes, I spend more time in the tree just thinking about life and, and getting away from the stresses, just like you were saying. Yeah. And it's, it, I've never hunted. I, you know, I've always wanted to, but my life just, my life path just never kind of took me in that direction. Right. You know, I, the closest I get to that is when I ride my motorcycle up into the mountains out here in the West, Oh, you know? Yeah. And I, uh, I, I can appreciate getting out into nature just because, you know, there's this, I don't know, it almost impacts your DNA. I think that's what, what, what we're supposed to do is to get out, you know, be right to, to live. Mm -hmm. I, I need to, you know, move on down the road. Yeah. You, know? so, you unplug and get away from it. I'm trying to think there's a, I think that the Japanese term for it, it's, and I apologize, I'm not fluent in Japanese, but it's something to the effect of uh, like Shinrin Yoku or something of that, that nature. It loosely translates to forest bathing. Huh. Oh, yes. And I had, I had written an article, and I think I might have talked about it on the original Adventures in Creativity podcast there that I did. This concept of forest bathing, and it's something the Japanese really, I don't want to say preach, but, but they really believe in. It's, it's the practice of getting out in nature. And just letting the calmness of it all kind of ground you because we get so surrounded. Like you said, we weren't meant to be in these, you know, office buildings and, and all of that stuff all the time. We were meant to feel the, the nature air on our skin. We're meant to hear those sounds. And, and it's something about it that I think just deep within us tends to every now and then just need to be connected again. And I think in doing that, that, that practice to me, I know with my photography, I tend to do a lot of nature stuff and outdoors mostly. And it's mainly because that's just where I feel at peace and where I happen to just see things better. If, if that makes sense, I, I feel more of a connection to that than anything else. So. I, I love the fact that you're a family man. Did you, 
did the fact that you had children, did it change your focus in life or give you a new perspective? And if that is true, will you share a story that illustrates this or how might this have affected your creative side? Absolutely. It did. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think anyone, anyone who's, who's had children and experienced that it's, it's terrifying. It is, you know, one of those things that is forever. And no matter how many books you read, no matter how many, you know, websites you read with, you know, parenting advice and everything else, there is nothing that prepares you for that moment when you first hold that first child or that second. I've got two kids mm-hmm. and they were both equally special. But that first one, I'll tell you what, man, that as, as most parents can, can probably understand, it's a game changer. Your whole perspective on life absolutely shifts. You go from thinking about what's important to you to suddenly everything is a concern about this baby you've created, you know, that, that you brought into this world. And it's, it's full of joy. It's, it's full of, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a softy, so I cry real easy. So <laughs> both kids, I, I spent that whole day, just tears of joy, you know, streaming down. And, and it was such an amazing, amazing process. And I, I can't even really put it into words. And as far as how it changed my creativity, I think more than anything, what it did is that coupled with some other, some other life stuff that, that we can, we can get into later really made me realize that life is, is so short and precious and that we, you, you can't just wait around for someday to do, get around to these things. And it really brought into clarity for me that, hey, I want to lead by example to this new baby I brought into the world. I want to raise creative children. I want my kids to see the wonder of the world around us. And I can't teach them that if I'm not doing it. And so it really gave me that, that perspective and that clarity of if I want them to learn to appreciate this stuff, they need to see me modeling that behavior for them as much as possible. So it kind of gave me a drive to just eliminate the fear of saying, well, someday I'd like to do this. Someday I'd like to do that. Instead, it was just, let's jump in and do it. I'm going to try stuff. I'm going to fail and I'm going to try again. And that more than anything is probably the biggest impact it had. You mentioned your mother a lot, and I'm, I'm very touched that you do. So I wonder if your mother has had a creative life of her own and had, did, that, did this rub off on you? You know, it's, it's interesting because neither one of my parents, in terms of traditional creativity, I'm talking drawing, painting, music, uh, that kind of stuff. Neither one of my parents really did any of that stuff growing up. My mom... I think I've heard her play once or twice. She used to play an accordion of all things. And uh, I remember as a kid, that accordion would always be in the house and, and us kids would play and we'd have to, you know, my sisters would grab one end, I'd grab the other. We were so young and we'd have to pull together to make it, you know, work. And other than that, I, I didn't really have any creative influence directly from my parents. What my parents did for me though, was they, they saw that these things were interesting to me, like the, like the drumming at an early age was my first creative passion music. And they just let me do it. And they encouraged it and they helped support me any way they could. And I mean, my poor dad would work shift work in the mines up here and I'd get home. And I, like I said earlier, I'd play three hours a day, every day. That's just what I did. And it, it was my enjoyment in, in, He'd be trying to sleep for a midnight shift and he'd say, you can't play while I'm sleeping. So I'd, I'd take the drums all outside thinking, oh, I'm outside. 
not realizing I'm right outside his bedroom window, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. And, and they'd put up with it because they saw there was something there mm-hmm. and they, they really were the, the encouragement more than the example, I guess you'd say. Now I, I, my dad's mother, my grandma, she was probably the most creative growing up. She would draw. Um, she was fantastic with, especially like, if you think of cartoons, the old comic strips, like a, like a Beetle Bailey or, or those kind of cartoony mouse, like Tom and Jerry, that kind of stuff. She'd just sit there at her kitchen table and doodle while we were visiting. And it was phenomenal. She'd play piano all the time. I mean, she had music she'd be playing all the time. So she was definitely the one probably most influential in terms of direct experience of, of creative pursuits. So it was mostly my, my grandma, my, my dad's mom, that was the hugest influence. And it was my parents that just thankfully saw the interest growing in different areas and really kind of nudged us and, and made it okay to explore these things more than anything. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I was fortunate that I had enough people in my life outside of my parents because, you know, my father really wasn't, he wasn't majorly artistic. There were things that he did, like he made his own, you know, Mother's Day cards with these really cool drawings of flowers that he did. And my mother, I, you know, I don't know of any kind of creativity that that she did. She collected things like rock, you know, pretty rocks and things like that in her life or whatever. Sure. But I had really good teachers in school who mm-hmm. who affirmed my writing skill, or you know, yes. they said, "Dude, you 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 know, you're doing really good with vocabulary. You should really consider <laughs> that that kind right. of thing." Right. So, right. Ironically, it wasn't. I mean, I wrote short stories all through my life and poetry. You know, in between sure. watches on in the Navy on my first ship. But it wasn't until sure. I applied to a college program and they said, "Yes, you can you can go to college for English." I'm like, mm. and pay me to do it. Yeah, right. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, I guess they they trust me enough to do this. So cool. Right. Yeah, I, I had a, uh, I think I had talked about him on an episode once before I mentioned him. I had an English teacher in high school and, and through junior high and high school that was very, very influential on that side, introduced me to storytelling as a whole, you know, and, and he had us reading Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit in, in seventh grade you know, well before a lot of kids get exposed to that. And, and he just really encouraged a lot of that. And it wasn't until five years ago when that started to rear back up for me. I, I've always enjoyed writing, but it's always been more in the, the blog posts and, you know, writing about photography and creativity and all that stuff. It's never been fiction. And that was something that really changed in, in the last really year and a half, two years actually for me more than anything. So it's funny how those things, they kind of lay dormant for a while and all of a sudden they just get activated in your mind and you're off and running again. So. Mm-hmm. I had an English teacher sophomore year. He was my cross-country coach too. And that was an interesting sure. dichotomy. But he played um, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven and he played it line by line on a record, actually. He would lift it up and say, okay, what do you think this this line means? And we, right. you, you, you remember like like, okay, examining each thing right like there are whole yeah. video channels youtube channels where they talk about how the song was formed <laughs> and creative and here my teacher right. was doing it back in the day you know exactly it gave me a whole new appreciation for led zeppelin in the in the writing right and that's awesome yeah so i i i i can appreciate someone who fosters that interest in, in young people yeah. you know Absolutely. So is creativity required for you? And if so, do you believe creativity is required for everyone in one way or another? 
required is a tricky word. I, I think personally for me, yes. If I don't have the ability, if I go for a stretch of a, a week or two weeks and I don't have the ability to do something creative, whether it be writing, whether it be wood carving or photography or music or whatever it is, I can feel a, a real change in my mood, in my attitude. I feel like I'm just kind of bursting. I get kind of cranky and, and testy and my wife can tell and she'll kick me out of the house and say, go, go take pictures or something because I, I don't want to listen to you right now. I get it's like, I, I, I don't know, I don't have that outlet. So I get pent up and kind of real, um, not un, uneasy. What's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, just kind of unsettled, kind of, you know, pacing around and, and I don't know, it, it, it bothers me. Now, as far as if it's required for everyone, I don't know that I could say it's required. I think it's, it's just something we all have. Regardless of if we use it or not, I think we all have some form of creative expression, some form of creative outlet and passions, whether we know about them or not. And that's the key is, is when we go from being children, when anything's fair game, it's all on the table, create, do whatever you want. And as we go through school, it's kind of, I don't want to say beat out of us, but it's forced out of us to think, no, we have to make logical decisions. We have to do this. We have to do that. And you, you creative stuff can come on the side. That's a play thing. And, and it's unfortunate because for often, oftentimes as adults, many people feel unsatisfied in life. And I think the biggest reason for that is because they've forgotten their creative passions and they don't know what they are anymore. They change as we get older and they don't have that way to, let that energy out and just kind of detach from the seriousness and heaviness of everyday life. So I think it's something everybody has. I think something everyone can benefit from pursuing. The trick is figuring out if you can identify what your creative passion is that speaks to you. It might be wrenching on cars. It might be you know, woodworking. It could be cooking or just reading books, watching movies, whatever it is. But there's always something that creatively speaks to every one of us. I firmly believe that. Mm -hmm. I agree with what you're saying. I, maybe I should clarify my, my question. Required is a very strong word and that wasn't really what my intent was. Mm -hmm. I guess where I'm coming from is before this modern era, mm -hmm. you know, we had tribal society. We mm -hmm. had, you know, you know, sitting around uh, a campfire after a long day's hunt or uh, threshing the, you know, the fields, you know, before we were, you know, we hunter, you know, the hunter gatherer kind of thing. For me, I, I, I wonder if creativity, you know, for the human being was part of the daily life and, but not in for art necessarily, right. but for solving a problem, how to get rid of that predator right. in a creative way. Oh, here's a good example. The idea that, you know, you have these large mastodons and humans are like, okay, well, that animal is really big. How can we, how can we dispatch that animal in the most humane way? Okay, well, we'll surround it at, at the edge of a cliff and it either comes through us or it goes over the edge of the cliff right. and then we don't have to hurt ourselves. That takes processing power. Right. And that, I, I guess that's where I was coming, yeah. trying to go to. That makes sense. Do you think that there's a, a representational idea of that where like there's painters you're like, I can't breathe if I'm not making a painting or striking a note on a guitar yep. or making a TikTok video or any number of creative outlets. And you're right, wrenching on a car. Look at these people who do these beautiful, 
you know, they recondition a car from oh, the yeah. rusted all the way up to, you know, <laughs> you know, like a 1957 Chevy Bel Air right. with that aqua blue in the chrome yep. and the, the orange engine block or whatever. Right. That's artistry, oh, right? 100%. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. The industrial age really kind of put a block mm-hmm. on that. You know, even my father, my father was like, you know, you can't write for a living. You have to go do a, a real job, right? But absolutely, you can write. You you just have to find the right place and the right person who wants to allow you to do it, basically, right? Ex- exactly. Yeah, it all comes down, I think you, you've hit on two things there. Uh, one being problem solved. I think that's something that we as human beings are innately conditioned to do. We're, we're here to solve problems whether it be what are we going to eat for dinner tonight because that T-Rex just chased everything off or, you know, whatever. Or modern day, you know, what, what do we want to do? Which, where are we deciding to eat? What are we going to do? Problem solving is something, I think that's one key aspect of creativity. And, and the other part of it, you mentioned, you know, at the beginning of that, sitting around the campfire, talking to your fellow hunters about how we can better harvest or where we're seeing more you know, animal activity where we could maybe get a better hunt or whatever. And it comes down to storytelling, I think, for me, which is a huge thing. And that's something that I think a lot of people may not agree with it, but I think all creativity really has a thread of storytelling running through it. Because we as as human beings, we're, we're natural storytellers, whether we're passing down family histories or information or you're just talking with your buddies over beers at the bar, you know, whatever it is, we're hardwired. Something within us is made to share stories, to share information and communicate. And that's that thread that runs through all of it. That's so vital. I discovered you through your Adventures in Creativity podcast. In my time of listening during travels around the United States, I came to feel as, as though I got to know you. With your very creative pursuits, how did podcasting begin for you? Well, it it all started because I hate YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, really, I, and that's a little strong. It's just, it, it really was like, I've been listening to podcasts for so long and I loved the idea. And I really wish that when I was in my 20s, you know, late teens, early 20s, I wish that it would have been around that my friends and I could have started doing something like that just for the, the sheer ability to go back and listen in memory sake, you know, kind of capturing that point in our lives. But obviously they weren't a thing. And then I started listening to them way back and had listened for many years. And I really wanted to do one, but thought it was going to be extremely difficult to do. I didn't know how to go about it. And so I thought, well, YouTube is free and that's easy. I've got cameras. I've got this. I can do this and this. So I started doing a daily vlog. Uh, it was based around photography type stuff mostly. And it's really kind of where uh, Adventures in Creativity started because I would talk a lot about the photographic process and the thought more you know, of the why behind them doing something rather than just talk about gear or something like that. The problem is that doing a daily vlog on YouTube burned me out so bad. It's so much work. You're filming little segments, doing stuff every day, editing for three, four hours a night, and then letting it upload and start all over. I did that for 120 something episodes, I think 115, something like that. And I grew to really despise anything to do with YouTube. And it just so happened about that time I was asked to be a guest on a photography podcast called Shutter Time. 
uh, Shutter Time with Sid and Mac. They were uh, they came to be friends of mine there up in Canada, and I was a guest on there a couple times. Really enjoyed it. And then two of my good friends decided, hey, we're going to do this tech and geeky kind of podcast called Digital Soup. They said, you you want to join us? I said, yeah, sure. That sounds fun. So we got into doing that, and suddenly I realized it's not that hard to do. It's it's really it wasn't as difficult. There was no big barrier to entry that I thought was there. And at that point, it really just was, you know, it's kind of off to the races. There was unlimited potential to do all kinds of different things. And now it seems I'm on a mission to try and explore all of them. <laughs> I don't know. I can't mm-hmm. stop myself, but yeah, it's, it really opened the doors. So how has podcasting changed you if it has changed you? You know, it, it's funny. I think the biggest thing it's done for me is uh, even though I, I, do a ton of podcast work and I'm always talking into this microphone. I am a huge introvert in my, my daily life and in real life, so to speak. And I have no trouble talking and communicating when I can document it here and record it and put it out to the world or talking to you like we are through zoom or something like that. It's just that in real life, I am very much the guy that'll sit back and just listen to things unfold around them. I don't mind being around people. I just don't want to have to carry a conversation, which is very weird considering I do so much on the podcasting side. But what it's done for me, I think, is it's allowed me to at least find a way to insert myself into those, you know, whether it be large family gatherings or groups of people, whatever it might be, and actually find a way to get something out of it other than feeling exhausted as an introvert trying to play in an extroverted world. Because I'm I'm always listening and absorbing and well, that'd be a cool element for a story or this person's got an amazing story. I just love listening to them or whatever it is, noticing those smaller things about people. And that coupled with the photography, I think makes it so that you're always kind of just seeing and experiencing things at a little different, I don't want to say level. It's not like a higher level, just a little different way than the average Joe that's not into those things where they're going to talk to someone and then they're gone and they forget about it. For me, those interactions stick in my mind and become a story two years later or something, you know, and that's the biggest change is it's really kind of opened up my mind so I can better, I don't know, collect and and understand those things. So you switched gears during my discovery of your podcast and you transitioned from discussing creativity and its impacts upon you and others to sharing forgotten words of science fiction from the past. How did you arrive at the decision to shift direction with your podcast and has it met your expectations and hopes? Hmm. I guess the first part of that, how did I arrive at it and what, what caused it? I, I was finding that a couple things, really. I still love and, and, and still think about creativity and the creative process all the time. But being it was just me and I wasn't doing an interview show every week, I really got to the point where I was terrified of starting to just repeat myself and kind of regurgitating the same stuff I'm hearing from everybody at Chase Jarvis or anyone else. I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like being able to have my own original thoughts, which is what I did through, through that show. But I was getting to a point where I, I worried I was going to run out of something to talk about. And then that coupled with the idea that I started realizing that most of the ideas I was having as topics on the show were all starting to center around storytelling. And it was all drawing back to that. And I thought, well, what can I do with this? And uh, a friend of mine, a co-host from Digital Soup, he had started doing a a podcast where he was doing strictly science fiction. I uh, love his channel. Oh, my gosh. I love his channel. 
he does such a good job with it. And he was doing that. And I thought, you know, that's kind of cool, but I don't want to do just sci-fi. I want to be able to read classic horror or just random weird stories, you know, detective crime stories or whatever it Uh might be. And there's so many amazing stories that are very influential in terms of, you know, films and, and books that came later and all this stuff from the late 1800s to the, you know, early up through like 1950s. And it just, it became this treasure trove of, of storytelling. And I, I just got sucked in and I thought, I'm just going to go for it. And really, when you listen back, when that transition happened on the show, I had an episode one week where I said, well, I'm thinking about a few things and I don't know, nothing's going to change in the short term. And in typical fashion, because this is how my creative mind works, the next episode I had plans and I was announcing, okay, the format's changing. <laughs> We're doing this. I yep. just jumped right in. And that's how I tend to do things creatively is I, I get an idea. And if it sticks with me for a week or so, it's worth exploring at least to see where it's going to go. So I just jump in and did it. And I switched things over to faded words at that. And I did that for a while. And I still am doing that. Actually, it's, it's coming out every other week. And then I started realizing I kind of want to try my hand at writing my own story. I've never done that before. And I love a lot of podcasts, these audio dramas that are out and stuff like that. So then I started writing my own. I had this idea and we have a lot of these kind of weird family stories from years ago. And I took those family stories as a little bit of a nugget of inspiration and completely fictionalized it. And now I just wrapped up, uh, as we're recording um, yesterday, the final season of three full seasons of an original fiction podcast I started that I did called Mystery Minnesota. And that comes out every other week, opposite faded words. So it's really become just this little mini network of storytelling fun. And there's new projects planned. Some of it's going to be more uh, doing some more interview stuff in the future. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff coming, but I decided I wanted to treat this thing like it was Netflix. You know, people can come there and they're going to hear a number of different things, depending on what I have going on. And I'm not stuck into any one tiny, narrow focus thing. I can try and explore and do a lot of things. And that's really how it all, all happened. And, and I'm looking forward to listening to that. I saw that on your podcast last night, actually, as I was, I was like, okay, I, I want to listen, but at the same time, I don't want to, I don't want to jinx the <laughs> questions by, by yep, listening right? to it. I want to listen to it fresh. Right. Who's your ideal listener? You know, it's, it's tough because it's really anybody that loves and appreciates storytelling. Now, each show has kind of its own, maybe slightly narrower target. Mystery Minnesota is all probably more of a dark horror type of storytelling fan. It's, it's not real crazy, you know, occult or nothing like that. It's just a little darker horror fiction podcast. Faded Words is... It tends to be a lot of, there's some sci-fi in there. There's some, you know, older fantasy, you know, Conan the Barbarian style stuff. And then just classic literature type stories, you know, Oscar Wilde and people like that. So it's, it's really anybody that just appreciates these old stories and storytelling as an art form and just kind of misses the way that stories are presented from those, those earlier days. I can remember one particular day I was struggling with this, this one particular pool and this particular pool was always, there was, there was a tree right next to it. And so the leaves, it was like six inches of leaves and leaves get heavy in the water as you're probably <laughs> would imagine. Right? right. And there was, there was one day where you were, 
you're talking about your ebbing of this creativity. You, you felt like you were in a mm. funk. Yeah. And I think one of the things for me, for you, is that I found myself talking to you. Like, it's going to be okay, David. You, you'll, it'll come back, <laughs> you know? And I felt like, like I said earlier, I felt like I got to know you and I felt like I, awesome. I wanted to be supportive of you. And I wanted to say, <laughs> dude, it, it, you know, I haven't even got a podcast and I, I can see that you're you're going to be amazing. This is just, just <laughs> do, do your passion, do your thing, you know? And oh, I, I, I hope it. that these podcasts do that for other people. I hope that right. someone's like, oh, I needed that. I needed that phrase today of all days, yep. you know, and I hope that that does that for some people. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that your podcast did that for me. You gave oh. me, you gave me the impetus to follow through with this dream, right? Yeah. Because back in 2009, when I published Inspiration Magazine, it, it was a mere whisper of a dream, right? Yeah. And I said, maybe one day I can do an audio thing and the right. podcast really weren't even kind of, I think Serial had come out and I haven't even listened to that yet. Uh, there were some other really cool podcasts that I never even listened to. I haven't either. <laughs> there is a ton. And I am just, I know we talked about it a little bit pre-show here, but I am just so thrilled and, and honored and flattered all, all of it that, you know, A, you you started listening back because I'm a nobody. I'm not some famous Chase Jarvis. I'm just some dude that made a podcast, you know. And the fact that it it, it has impacted you that way is just it's mind blowing to me. It really is. And uh, it's, I, I can't even put it into words just how appreciative I am of hearing that and how excited I am to, to hear your journey as, as you're getting it off the ground and you've, you've dove in and are making it happen. It's, it's amazing. It's so awesome to hear. I appreciate that. We're going to switch directions just a little bit. Is there a note or a chord or a melody that you've played in your music that has been an epiphany? Hmm. Well, as a drummer, that's that's a little different question. I can tell you, uh, and it wasn't something I created, but there have been a few moments for me, uh, one being a song from Tool from way back in the 90s called Sober. There's a big drum intro in that song. The, the music starts first, just like a, the bass and guitar, and then when the drums kick in, it's this crazy fill. Danny Carey is the drummer. He's just amazing. And I remember I was about 19 years old, and I'd practice that thing over and over. And the day I finally hit it, it was like, you know, that choir. Oh, yeah, everything's singing. Everything just unlocked. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can do this. My hands, everything just worked together, you know, both feet and hands doing everything independently. And I thought, holy cow, that's how it's done. It, it just unlocked for me. And there's been other moments like that over the years with with certain phrases and pieces of music i know there's been some dave matthews stuff because that guy carter beaufort as a drummer is insane like neil peart level from rush to same thing some of the stuff those guys did i i don't understand how human beings can move like that and when you're sitting there and you put in all those hours of practice and, and failure and failure they all just suck you like i'm never gonna get this and then it happens at one time and suddenly boom you never forget it. It's there forever. And it's just, it's so amazing how that, that opens up your mind to say, I can do this. And now what's the next challenge? Because you're never content with just that one thing, right? That's the beauty of all creativity, really. But music, especially like you nail that Hendrix riff or something. Suddenly it's like, game on. What else can I do? <laughs> you know, Steve Vai is next. What's up next? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. 
one of my bands growing up that I really enjoyed yeah. was Def Leppard, right? And then, you know, he was, the drummer was an amazing drummer yeah. with two arms. And then yep. he had that terrible accident and then he came back and he, they built a one-armed drum break and he was just right. as amazing and- with one arm. I I can't keep a beat very long yeah. if I do if I do keep a beat so I can appreciate I can appreciate mm-hmm. drumming actually it's one of those things like Key West is a is a good example you have buskers who who just d- take a you know a five gallon <laughs> yeah. bucket yep and a stick and they're making amazing music yep. with just a bucket well you know a varying the tempo and the you know the volume aside from our voice the drum is the oldest instrument out there mm-hmm. you know it's it's been there since the earliest days of mankind as part of that storytelling again it it sets the mood it sets a tempo it sets and i think that's why for me personally it just connects so much through everything i do music is just a part of me but i mean don't get me wrong i wish i could stand here with a guitar and rip out a eddie van halen style solo i i can't you know i'm just i can play a few simple chords but i can sit down behind a drum set and i i can do some stuff and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not on a level of some of these masters, but I've put in the time over the years and I can play. And when you can hit some of that stuff, it's, it's another way of speaking to an audience, you know, whoever is listening, it's amazing. And that from Def Leppard, I forget his name. Was it, um, can't think of the drummer's name. It's, it's escaping me right now, but his sound, even after he lost his arm, it's just such a tight, like it's nothing crazy intricate. It's it's not the style of playing you're gonna get from some of these jazz guys that are super detailed and flying all over, but he's just got such a powerful locked in the pocket kind of sound that is just amazing. That's that's what drove that band and why they were so incredibly successful, I think. So what does it mean to you to simply exist or to be, as you put it? Hmm. Hmm. That's that's tricky. I mean, to me, I guess if I think about it, hey, what would make that up? Existing to me is is gotta have my family. I need to have that that grounding element of seeing my kids every day, seeing my wife. You know, my parents are getting up there, and I know they won't be around forever. But trying to just keep their memory alive and do as much with them as I can before they're gone. But I also need that ability to constantly stay curious and be able to be willing to just explore creative without that to me i feel like i'm kind of in an autopilot mode where i'm not really living i'm not really being myself i'm not able to just be who i am or you know it's it's a cliche phrase but the old you know thriving versus surviving kind of mentality and it's without those elements without my wife and kids and and without family and then without the creative pursuits, it just somehow kind of feels just empty. Like I'm spinning my wheels, wasting time. So has being with a capital B E fed your creativity or has creativity allowed you to be fully present in your life? Hmm. That's a good question. I, I, I would tend to think the latter. I think to me, the creativity has allowed me to both be myself, but also continue to look outward and find those other areas that help enrich because there's always something new to discover, always something new to try and explore. And without that, I feel stagnant. I feel like I'm not growing as a person. And I, I think the creativity just helps me be more who I am because I have 
just this innate curiosity about everything, you know, how does that work? Or what, what would happen if you did this? Or, you know, what if we tried this thing? You know, that's just how I'm made. And without the creative pursuits in there, I think that would just all fall flat, you know, and it just, that's not an existence I want to live. Can you share your vision of your photography? Is this a different expression of creativity or perhaps a visual representation of a story told or shared, or is it different for you? Hmm. You know, it's, it's changed over the years. When I first got into photography, it was really just a hobby. It was <laughs> foolishly, I thought, this is a good, inexpensive hobby. Now that I can shoot digital, I don't have to deal with film anymore. <laughs> I can do all I want. And then 10 grand in lenses and gear later, and I was shooting weddings and doing all this stuff. And it was, it was just a whirlwind of trying new things. As time went on, I started to find there were certain subjects, certain situations that would draw me more. I, I love shooting in nature. I also love photographing like empty streets in these small towns where I live and, you know, late afternoon or evening or whatever it is, there's so much it's tied into the storytelling, uh, cinema and movies and film have drawn me in so much. And there's so many amazing stories told there visually that I I've, my whole concept with my photography has been to start trying to find a way to work a moving picture, like in a film, say a scene from a film and somehow distill that down into just one single frame and tell that story and communicate it. Or maybe it's a series of two to four images or five images and, and find a way to let the story of a place express itself or the story I have in my head be visually represented through my photography. And even with the nature stuff I like to shoot, there's always an element of some sort of story behind it that really draws me in. And I think that's how everything is kind of distilled down and funneled into this storytelling you know, kind of, if you think of a, an hourglass, all this inspiration comes in the top, it narrows down through the lens of storytelling and then comes out in different forms, podcasts, photography, music, all of it. But it has to go through that storytelling filter first for me, because that's just how I relate to the world, I think. I really like that. That's a really good uh, analogy, in my opinion. This is kind of an unplanned question, but sure. would you say that photography is how can I say this? Do you feel that you need to explain those photo stories or do you want people to interpret them through their own lens, their own storytelling lens, and so that they come away with perhaps a different experience or do you want them to have where you lead them down the path yourself? Or it's That's really tough because there's the side of me that enjoys writing and storytelling that wants to be able to flesh out this whole thing for them. So they can look at it and they get what I was trying to say. But I find that even doing that, I can't force them to see something the way I am. You know, even if I write out, you know, some elaborate story with it and tell them exactly what I was thinking when I shot that photo, uh, they're going to look at it and they're still going to find their own meaning in it. Mm -hmm. And so as I've gotten older, I've, I've realized that I'm okay with as long as they're seeing something. In it, if they're sticking around long enough to look at it and say, Oh, yeah, that's kind of cool, or Oh, I wonder what that ball is doing in that gutter over there, or where'd that tennis shoe on the street come from? That's weird, you know, some small detail in the photo, whatever it might be. As long as they're thinking about it enough to have some sort of reaction to it, some sort of story nugget form in their head, I'm absolutely okay with that. Mm -hmm. I, 
I used to be much more adamant that, no, this is what I'm trying to say. I'm the artist, you know, listen to me. But it's really not about that. I think with all art, we can only do so much. We express ourselves in the creation of it and we put it out to the world. And once it's out in the wild, it's up to that viewer or that listener or whatever it might be to interpret it and take from it what, what's going to resonate with them the most. I mean, I, I could I could create a photo with an amazing, you know, triple rainbow over this amazing rainy street and you know, reflections and all this stuff. And the detail that someone else notices is the hot pink mailbox on the house, four houses down the street that you can barely see just tiny in the photo. But to them, that's what captures their imagination. And we can't control that. And so once we create it and we put it out into the world, at that point, our job is done. And it's up to the viewer to hopefully respond and find something in that work, you know, photographic or otherwise to, to react to, to connect with and, and create a story on their own. We'll be back with Dave after this break. I want to try something a bit different with the breaks I normally build into the show. Dave mentioned earlier in the show about something called force bathing, or as Dr. King Lee called it, Shirin Yuku. While I will produce a show in the future about this subject, I'm going to provide a small glimpse of something that brings peace to me. Please enjoy the sounds of a Vermont brook. Now, welcome back to Inspirus Audio Magazine. Do you think the viewer, reader, you know, whoever's enjoying the artistic endeavor, do you, mm -hmm. do you feel that they are just as important in this process? Or is it a, a twofold thing where you, the creator, you're putting something out there, like I said, you're birthing it, mm -hmm. and then you're releasing it, letting it have its own life, and then the whatever viewer, reader, whatever that may discover it. We were talked earlier about creativity from the the viewer's perspective and how we right. need we need to read and we need you know I used to read novels voraciously and, and mm -hmm. make mini movies in my head right and <laughs> right Stephen King especially and yeah. so do you feel that side of it is just as vital perhaps as the the person who released it into the wild as you said well I think 
with the caveats, I guess I'm, I'm discussing this and coming from a place where I'm not thinking of say my photography or, or my podcast as a product. You know, if, if I was, if I was a photographer that was shooting commercially and needing to sell my photographs, that's a little different space. You know, you have to think about things and approach them a little differently because most of the time in those situations, it's not about you. It's about what that client wants. Uh-huh. That being said, with my work and in the stuff I do, and when you're doing something as an artistic pursuit, not a commercial endeavor, I think the viewer is absolutely an important role, but I think it's something that we have zero control over. The important part in the end of your influence and the, the end of your uh, responsibility as, as a creative is, like you said, creating it, birthing it, and releasing it to the world. Once it's out there, you can only hope, you can try and market it, you can try and do your best to get it in front of the right people, but how they're going to respond to it is, is beyond your control. And it's something that is important because if, if you're creating it in a vacuum, and that's why I think the, the important part of that is the act of releasing it to the world and putting it out there. Because if you don't do that, if you create all this stuff and it sits buried on a hard drive, you haven't finished the creative process, in my opinion. If you're creating it and whatever it is, you're putting it out there to the world. At that point, the world being your audience, they fulfilled their role. And, and it's up to them at that point to hopefully find something with it they can connect or enjoy or uh, inspire them or whatever it might be. And so to me, I think it's more on you in terms of the creative and the personal expression. But once it's out there, it's out of your hands. And then it's just a matter of hopefully it, it resonates with someone. But the more people that it, that it connects to, obviously as a creative that can help spur you to keep making more or you know whatever it is that's a that's a different i guess conversation but as far as their responsibility in it that's beyond your control that's good to know we'll drive ourselves crazy we'll drive ourselves crazy trying to trying to control how someone else views what we do so that's good advice actually what does it mean to observe the world around you and how does your storytelling change or grow as a result of what you see I think the, the biggest thing that, that I've found, especially over the last handful of years, five, six years, something like that, and, and more so in the more recent years, observing the world around you, you start to realize that, and it comes down to inspiration in a lot of ways, where there is inspiring stuff, I guess you could say, for lack of a, a le- uh, an eloquent term there. There's something you can find inspiring in just about anything you see if you take the time to notice it. You know, if, if you're walking down the street or you're on your way to work or something, driving in your car, and it's a road you've driven a thousand times before, we tend to kind of get that tunnel vision we're not seeing anymore. But if you take the time to look around, you'll notice that, oh, that house over there, they just changed their garden up. Or you notice, you know, they painted their you know, windows, oh, that place got new curtains, or oh, look, the city put up new flowers over here, whatever it is. Countless things you, you can notice. The more you start to observe, the more you start to notice. And all of those things just become potential inspiration for something. It could be a new photo project. It could be a new short story or poem. It could just be an appreciation for, wow, life really is magical. You know, this, this world around us is amazing. And that just gives you a little, you know, positive jumpstart to your day and being able to slow down and really just observe things 
just unlocks all of that potential for you because otherwise you, you end up kind of just, you know, it's so easy when you're driving down that same road to work every day, you get blinders on and you don't even see what you're driving by anymore. And we, we kind of get in those ruts and suddenly we start feeling like things don't have meaning anymore. I had an interesting experience this afternoon. I was driving back from doing a little bit of work. I've, I've, I'm starting a company. So mm. there's this, I don't, I don't know if you've been West or not, but there's this big mountain here bit, called yeah. Mount Rainier. Yep. And typically it has a lot, a lot, a lot of snow on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love synchronicities and I love, you know, as a photographer myself, I love that, that moment when you see something differently, the peak appeared right in the middle of the road in the trees beside me or whatever, right? Right. In the fir trees. And I notice it, it doesn't have a lo- as much snow on it this right now. And I'm like, right. oh, there's not as much snow on the mountain this year. Yeah. And we, we had a pretty brutal winter. We just had a heat wave. I'm guessing you'll probably mm. be getting that pretty soon if you haven't already. We, we've been in it. Yeah, we've been in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. Seattle had the warmest we've seen in a long time here. So I am in total agreement with you about observing your world. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful to see the world. And so many people miss yeah. it, I think. They, they just go to work, right. come home, go to bed, watch TV or, or whatever. And yeah, I, I, I try to... The, my, I was working on a, a, a previous episode and my wife came bursting through my door. Good, good thing it wasn't <laughs> recording audio. She goes, Spencer, get off from your computer. Come with me. We're going to look at the sunset. And it was right. the most gorgeous pink sunset we'd seen in a long time. Yeah, right. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, okay. It was, it was, it was stunning. Yeah. And that, that's exactly it. We have to take the time to observe the beauty that we have around us. Right. Do you, uh, do you ever find though, like you were talking about when you notice the snow on the mountain, do you ever find that something like that, you'll notice it and, and suddenly find yourself asking yourself, how long has it been like that? How many times have I driven past this and not even noticed it? Or, you know, how many sunsets have I missed because I just wasn't looking? Sometimes I kick myself. And I'm just curious, do, do you find that happening yourself too, where you're kind of like, whoa? No, I, I don't ask myself that. I, at my age, I find that I just take joy in every moment that I see. And if I, if I miss it the day before and I see it today, right. I can't change what I didn't see yesterday, right. but I can take joy in what I, in what I see today. Sure. And the, you know, it's really interesting because I've had dogs in the past and dogs are so totally in the moment, right? <laughs> and yeah. I, I've had the, the dogs that we had were literally in the moment all the time. And they are such lessons for happiness and joy and contentedness, right? So I'm not comparing myself to a dog, but you know what I'm saying? A squirrel. I, I really, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I enjoy this life. You know, I'm looking forward. Yeah. I can't. I can't look at my mistakes of the past and, mm-hmm. and be like lamenting it, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm an Eckhart Tolle fan. Why am I having this experience? Because I'm having this experience. <laughs> I love you that. Know? I love it. That's that's how I have to order my life. And yeah. of course, I've learned a lot of patience over my 54 years. Yeah. And sometimes I learned a lesson again and again well. and again. And and the same thing with those. I don't want to call them missed opportunities. If you weren't supposed to see something mm-hmm. to me, you weren't supposed to see it. Yep. So if you if you missed that murmuration, which is one of my favorite words and favorite things in the Midwest. Oh, that's brilliant. A lot of people, they don't care about starlings flying right. like that. I do. Yep. You know, and that actually was an inspiration for a scene in one of my my stories. Awesome. You know, so 
So that's kind of gets back to what you're talking about when you're driving home. You know, I am, I am observing and yep. it's, you just never know what you're going to see. You just, well, you just never know. It's the, it's, it's that driving force of always staying curious kind of, you know, and, and being willing. Cause I think really that's what it boils down to is you have to be willing to see. Mm-hmm. It's easy for a lot of people to say, oh, I'm open-minded. I, I'm, ob- I'm very observant. Well, are you willing to really look and see like, oh, I'm, I'm looking at a speaker here. I've got these little Bluetooth speakers on my computer and they got these fancy blue neon lights. And there's one spot where as I move the lights, just doing this, you know, kind of, you can't see on camera doing this little like a, almost talking about water, but like the waves action. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not the speaker. It's just the light over here doing something. But I'm like, oh, that's kind of a neat analogy you know it's it's forming this little bit of a scene that's filing away in my head going i could see using that in in a description in a story as a character's doing this and this and watching this light dance across this thing you know little things like that you just never know mm-hmm. to to me it's like those are those little moments that just really enrich every day like you said and and you can't you can't look back with regret you mentioned that you wanted to share with the world not to wait. And you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier. What is your favorite example of you following your own advice where you just jumped into the mix of whatever it was your dream was? Well, I, I'd have to say that it's probably the various journeys that podcasting has taken me on. Um, because unfortunately, it's a lesson like you mentioned earlier. You had to learn it over and over and over again until finally it stuck. And, and I realized we had a few years back now, it was back in 2016, we had a, a major uh, health scare with my mom. She had a, a pretty bad cancer diagnosis, and thankfully, she's still doing well. But it was pretty touch and go there. And when that happened and kind of coming out of that after the shock of all that, you know, she was only trying to think how I think she was around was it 60 60 or 61 so pretty young and thinking that we might lose her it was it was very close and as we came out of it and things stabilized and we realized okay we're okay for for the time being that's when everything kind of came crashing back to me and was like you if you want to do something just do it you can't wait you can't there might not be a tomorrow you know, none of us are guaranteed that. So if you've got something burning inside of you, some idea, I don't care how big it is, how small it is, you want to write a, a, you know, three line haiku, or you want to, you know, create a podcast or make an album of music, whatever it is, just find a way to just do it and get it going. Just start even because once you start, then the momentum goes and you can, you can carry it through. But so often up to that point in my life, I had all these ideas, journals full of them, like someday I'd like to do this. And this would be a cool idea. And I never did any of them. And at that point, it became this like a switch flipped. And, and to me, it was, nope, I want to try this. I want to try that. So I, I started podcasting more. I started writing. I did that, that original fiction show, which I had never done anything like that before. I just dove in and wrote it and started recording. That's all there was to it. Learned as I went. I got into uh, wood carving with, you know, like whittling knives and stuff like that. I got into carving with a, a Dremel. I got into wood burning, started, I built this computer desk I've got over a weekend, uh, about two months ago. I just decided I'm just going to start trying to do stuff. 
because I, I don't want to get to that last day and be looking at a, at a stack of journals full of stuff that I always wanted to do, but never did. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't want there to be, I mean, that's to me the, the biggest fear of regret is the stuff that you know you wanted to do, you had it within you to do, and you just chose not to do it for no mm-hmm. other reason than you made a choice. And that to me is something I try my best to not do anymore. You know, if there's something that's got me curious, something that's got me interested, I'm going to jump in, you know, both feet first and figure it out. You know, if if it fails, it fails, but at least I tried, Mm -hmm. you know, at least I got it out of my system to say, well, that was an experience, but I'm not doing it again. (laughs) You know, I've done that a few times, but yeah, but yeah. and, And it's just so important, I think, to not not sit around and wait because we don't know what minute or hour or day is our last one here. And we don't want to waste it. All right. So you've mentioned your mother a couple of times. Mm. If your father was listening in Mm. on this conversation, what do you think he would tell me about you? (laughs) I, I don't know what he'd tell you. My dad and I are very, very close. He's literally my, my best friend. We do everything together. And I know, see our family, a lot of families are like this. We, I, we didn't grow up a very, how do I put this? I, I, we, we weren't super affectionate, lot, not a lot of like hugging. And we, the men in my family on my dad's side, my uncles and my grandpa, it's rare to hear anyone say, I love you. Now, for me, that's changed a lot meeting my wife because her family is the polar opposite. Hugs every, you can't get out the door without 50 hugs and mm-hmm. I love yous and everything else. And so uh, that's another one of those changes that happened after having kids. Cause I tell my kids, I love them every day, you know, multiple times a day and tons of hugs and all of that. But my dad and I, we've got this, uh, it's our own little kind of language. You know, when, when I leave the house, it's not a, all right, take care. I love you. It's a watch for deer, you know, drive safe, watch for deer kind of thing. And that's, that's how we tell each other. It's just, it's just how we are. And so he's not the type that's going to say very often, you know, it's, it's, very rare. And when he does say it, I know I've done something that's pretty important to him when he tells me, wow, that was, that's amazing. I'm proud of you. You know, I love you or whatever. So when he actually verbalizes it, I know I'm like, whoa, I, I must've really done something good. So as far as what he would tell you about me, I, I don't know. I think he'd tell you that I'm a scatterbrained creative. <laughs> I, I'm up to try things constantly. I can't ever sit still. I, I hate just sitting at home. But at the same time, I'm, I'm extremely loyal and, and you know, always, always up for adventure, always curious, always looking for that next thing. And, you know, I, I don't know, I guess I, I, I hope that's what he sees. And I, and I know that's, that's kind of how he thinks of me because he, he picks on me sometimes. But, uh, you know, many times he's told me, don't you ever just sit down and relax? It's like, no, I, I don't. I got, <laughs> I got stuff to do. I got things to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's probably more than anything. I mean, uh, without sounding sentimental, I, I hope he'd tell you that he, he's proud of what I've done, that I've earned what I've gained, I guess you could say. You know, I, I work hard to, to make progress with, with my family life, that I'm a loving father and, and I do the best I can there. And I'm hoping that's the kind of stuff that, that he would tell you. Do you realize that that's, that that's the answer to my first question to you about your elevator yeah. autobiography? 
<laughs> nice. I told you it was going to come back. I'm glad you did. I, I, we, I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. When you first said that, I thought you were getting ready pre-show. That's why I said, oh, we'll come back to that. And then it felt bad this whole interview. I am. You set me up and I'm so glad you did. Thank you. <laughs> this is getting long in the tooth and we're almost done. So that's fine. Uh, last major question. Sure. If an anonymous patron donated enough money for you to travel to one country, where would you go and why would you travel there? Mm. It, it would be a toss up, but it's easy for me. I'll try and keep this brief, but to give you a quick backstory. I played football for the Minnesota State All-Star team. I did that the summer after I graduated high school. And I traveled to New Zealand, got to go over there for a little over two weeks, played football for two weeks, got to see the tour all over the country. And then we spent three days and three nights in Hawaii on the way home. I would love to go back to New Zealand when I don't have the hectic schedule of practices every day, games every couple of days. You know, it was a whirlwind. It was a blast, but I felt like we rushed through everything and it was such a beautiful country and I'd love to go back there. Now, the second one, like I said, it's a toss up because my wife, um, she, her, her stepfather and, and her mom, they did a lot of work with their church when she was younger and her stepdad's a carpenter. And so he spent uh, a number of years in Japan building houses and, and doing things over there. And she actually lived over in Japan through her like seventh, eighth and ninth grade years of school. She went to school over there, immersed in the culture. She wants to go back there. And I'd love to see that as well. They weren't in a, a huge city. I forget, was it Osaka maybe? Mm, I forget what, what city they were in. It's, it's a decent sized town. It's not like a, a you know, huge you know, Tokyo or some you know, whatever, but I'd love to go see that. So that's kind of our, our dream trip one day once we retire is our hope is that we can have enough money to make this epic about two month long vacation where we spend half the time in New Zealand and then swing up the other half in Japan. Mm. Um, that would, that would be the ideal, ideal vacation spot. Nice. Yeah. I like to ask the question, what question would you like me to ask? Yeah. You talked about storytelling. So to kind of cap this off, what story do you think you would tell about New Zealand having been there at least once? You know, I, I that's a great question. I don't know if I'd have a, a particular story fleshed out just in, off the top of my head, but I think it would definitely center around the fact that for such a small country, it has so much diversity in the, the types of places. I mean, you can go from uh, a bustling city to, you know, Lord of the Rings style mountains an hour car drive away, you know, and it's just such a fascinating place with, you know, varied landscapes and, Unlike Australia, there's not a bazillion things looking to murder you every time you turn around. There's not uh -huh. the dangerous spiders and snakes and all that. It's just such an amazing place. And I mean, both geographically in terms of the photography side and the landscape, but just the people, the history, uh, th that would be where my story would be, would, would be something to do with finding a way to explore all of those different cultures in, in more depth and uncovering how they all work together to form this amazing place because mm -hmm. there's so much variety there that it's it's mind-blowing i've got an a and a b part of this question that are sure. obviously unplanned first is have you seen the the documentary series called destinations mm, no i don't think so i think it might be on netflix or it might be around okay 
these two guys are best friends and they brought in another friend who is a, a videographer and they traveled all around the world and they sure. had some pretty amazing adventures and they went to New Zealand Yeah, and it was, it's a pretty awesome episode actually. So to check, check out. it out sometime. And then have you seen the movie Whale Rider? That I believe I have. Yeah. If I'm thinking of the right one. The young girl who, who goes out in, on the ocean. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was a pretty amazing movie, and I love the culture. Of course, I spent six years in Hawaii, and I'm sure. very fond of the Polynesian, mm. the Polynesian culture. Anyway, yeah. in fact, I met a Polynesian. I met a Polynesian, and she's actually Samoan today. Sure. And I, I, this brings me back to Hawaii every time I meet a lovely yeah. Islander. So you know, and I can't remember how I, I never could pronounce it. I've got that Minnesota accent. You know, I can't, <laughs> I can't say these things. But the the Maori or, or Maori, Maori, yeah, Maori, yeah. I, I wasn't sure, but we got to go while I was there. And you know, I, I was you're 17, 18 years old. You're not really in that mindset to truly appreciate that kind of stuff at the time. And it was such a whirlwind. But they took us in, and they basically had this entire village this, this well it was a town and they they let our entire team come we had um their authentic culture food a big dinner they did the whole i, I forget what it's called it's been many years now but they're fire dancers where they've got the big flaming mm-hmm. stuff they're spinning and the dancing and in the drumming that was going on and you know oh it, that's one of those things from that trip that it's just burned in my mind. I can't remember the names of stuff, but I, I can still see those images, taste that food, and, and it was just amazing. And I, I'd love to go see that again. One of the favorite things I have about the men in that culture mm-hmm. is the haka. Yes. The, oh, I just, I, I, I've yes. seen a, a military-style um, funeral where they, oh. they, they, they just, they're all in uniform sure. and they do the haka. And as a military guy, yeah. it just gets me right to my core, you know, and that's such a touching, endearing right. way to remember a loved one, right. you know. Boy, in that setting, <sighs> that's got to be intense. Yeah. Because that, yeah. that haka is intense anyways, but yeah. in the funeral setting, you've got all that emotion. Oh. I'm not even in that culture and I get emotional yeah. when, I, when I see it. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Pisces, so I get emotional, <laughs> about, I get emotional about a bird so, I, I or a mountain without snow on it. Yeah, so. I, I don't know where I get it from. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Gemini, but I'm right on the border uh, you know, on, the, on the 20th. So the next day it turns to cancer. So I don't know where I get my stuff from. I'm just a hot mess, I say, but I'm a, I'm a total, <laughs> total softy. I mean, I love to cry at a movie. I mean, I, I love when a, when a song hits you and you just start bawling alone in your car. It's embarrassing, but I love it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's I've had those art. experiences. You know, yeah. it's experiencing something on, on a level that's more than just surface level static, you know, and I, I yeah. love it. The year that my dad passed away, I was out there helping care for him and uh, I needed a break from the this, this, this stress of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I put on... Uh, an album that a lot of people don't like, but I absolutely love is called uh, Paul Simon's Kodachrome. And yep. there's a song. Oh, what's this name of the song? It, it's about this, this boy who, whose heart beats on the opposite side. And this boy just doesn't know how to communicate with the world and everything like that. Yeah, and I, yeah. it got me. I just, I pulled over. I, I was bawling mm. at, at the listening to the song. And of yeah. course I'm dealing with my father's, you know, the grief right. of my impending father's passing, right. but it's just like, okay, well, that's got to come out somehow, you know? Yeah, I'll I'll give you another one more modern from that. You go give it a listen. When my grandfather is 2019, he died December 1st, 2019. 
in late November, we had gone down to visit him in hospice and we knew his time was coming. We just, we knew he didn't have long. He was 93 and still tough though. And it was my, my dad's father. And on the way home, you remember the artist, James Blunt? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, he had just come out with a single for his last album. The song is called, uh, I think it's called Monsters. And it's a song where he's basically telling his dad, I've got the lyrics pulled up here, where he's saying goodbye to his father. Oh, that, and, oh, in a yes, sense, yes, yeah. yes. And he's crying yeah. in the video and his dad. Yes. Oh, that got that me, thing. man. <laughs> that- oh, and that thing, I listened to it on repeat, sobbing. Though It was a four-hour drive home from where my grandpa was in hospice. And, and that was my grandfather, not my father. But I sent it to my dad and all my uncles. I'm like, Listen to this. It may hit you emotionally, but check it out. You know, I think you'll you'll enjoy this. And totally not the type of music they normally would listen to, even myself, really. But it just happened to pop on, and oh, what a powerful song! Yeah, I have to agree with you. That that song I saw that on YouTube. Even he, you know, <laughs> yeah. visually, it's stunning. It's stunning to yep. see a grown man crying, and you're like, oh my god, I don't want to cry right now. Right? Yeah. You know? I mean, the whole message is basically saying, you know. I'm not your son. You're not my dad. You know, it's something like that. And, and, you know, we're just two grown men saying goodbye. And essentially the message being, you know, you've taken care of me all these years. Now it's my turn. Let me do this for you. And it's tough, but talk about creativity, having an impact. He released that into the world. It's up to us to interpret that. And man, thanks for reminding me about that song. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It's a good one. Yeah. Okay. So now now with that, now it's a rapid fire. Uh, what are you curious about right now? Curious about right now? I, I am reading this book and I'm, I'm really curious. It's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. We're doing it as a, uh, the first attempt at a, like a book club with my podcast. And I am only like three chapters in and I am fascinated by it. The, the style this is written in is weird. And I, I am just absolutely, I can't wait to see where this author takes us on that trip. Nice. Invisibility or super strength? Hmm. I'm going to have to go super strength, even though invisibility would be cool, but it seems like it could be a little creepy maybe, but (laughs) super, super strength. I mean, it'd be handy, but super strength, you know, at least maybe I could help people. There you go. What do you miss most about childhood summer vacations, comma, if you had childhood summer vacations? I did. And it was the, the feeling of having no plans, just being able to freely explore every day until I was too tired to do it. Yep. Nice. Yep. If thoughts become things, what did you just create? Uh-oh. I, I, I probably just created a summer vacation. Oh, nice. Where are we going? <laughs> I, I don't know, but that's the last thought I was having. I was imagining those long days at the beach, and oh, I guess that's where I'm at. Nice. Nice. All right, so you're on a train trip across this country, and you can only okay. bring three things. What are they and why? Mm, a camera, because obviously I, I just got to take pictures. Probably a microphone and a some sort of portable recorder just to, just to enjoy documenting and, and finding a way to share the story of, of my journey. Hmm. Actually... Let me, let me ditch the microphone because I can record into my phone. So let's just say the camera, my phone, and my journal because I've got to write. I write almost every day. So Nice. Those three. Yeah. Very nice. It's just been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Like I said, I'm so excited that you're finally doing this, and I'm honored to, to be able to join you here. So 
I mean, keep up what you're doing. I, I look forward to watching this journey that you're on and, and continuing to see it grow because you're you're killing it, man. I love it. Oh, I thank you so much. It's uh, it's such a pleasure. And like I said, I wanted to give back to you in some small mm. measure at the very minimum, and uh, because you helped me, you know, three different ways basically. And um, <laughs> I remember listening when your grandfather was going to hospice, and I yeah. It, the trials and tribulations that you went through, but you shared with us with a vulnerability mm -hmm. yeah. really humanized you. And it really, it made me appreciate you so much, you know, because Thank you. it's the, it's the people who are willing to share of themselves who make a mark on the world, honestly. And, you know, you might not be a big wig. I'm not a big wig, <laughs> but you know what? You're a big wig to me. You're, uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, thank you. You're going to do some amazing things with your stories, and I can't wait to listen. I now I'm going to go go listen to your Minnesota mysteries because I love paranormal and yep. horror and dark yep. humor and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it's all in that same feed, the AIC Stories podcast feed. That I put them all in one spot, so you don't have to go searching for anything. Nice. So, so if there's any uh, in the future, if you um if you have a special project that you kind of want to promote or whatever, you know, call me up and we'll have another, sure. we'll have another podcast episode oh, about that. Anytime, so, anytime. So. I, I appreciate it so much. And like I said, I, I hope your listeners understand just how cool it is that you have taken this step, man. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, I love it's it. It's so much fun. Actually, it really is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. So, all it right. Is. Well, I hope you have a great night and, uh, you too. You know, even though I don't know them, give your hug, your kids a hug for me and, and, and thank <laughs> your wife for allowing you to be in the man cave for just, uh, I don't know yes. how long this episode. Oh, wow. This is a long one. Uh -oh. you know, no, no, no. Uh oh, I'm, I'll just edit it. I'll just edit it down to an hour and a half. That's all. We'll just make it a, we'll, there you we'll go. Make a, we'll make it a longer one, but no worries. Joe Rogan, what, three, four hours, right? So, oh, sure. Look at Dan Carlin's hardcore history. That's like, oh, I haven't hour heard podcast. that one before. Huh? Now oh, I have he, to find another he's one. He's an old one. Yeah. He does some long, they're like literally six hours, eight hours. He'll go. Wow. Deep. Wow. So, not weekly, though. He prepares them and <laughs> yeah. he prepares them and they come out and then they, you need time to listen. But he's, he does a nice job, too. Oh, so. Very cool. All right. Well, I'll say hello to the Midwest for us and uh, I'm <laughs> sure will. we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks again, man. All right. Have a great night. You too. All right. Bye. We spoke with Dave Swidek about his love of the outdoors and how it centers him, his love of family, and why storytelling is important to him. We discovered how we got started in podcasting and why he feels it's important to be observant in your world. For me, this is a podcast about giving back because Dave, in his signature modesty, is a testament to finding your path, creative or otherwise, and living your passions before it's too late. He is part of the reason that I ventured onto this path of providing the best audio content I can. Thank you, Dave. You can find more about Dave at his website, usuallydave.com. There you will find his various podcasts and photographs. I hope you get inspired like I did. Thanks for listening. Please consider subscribing to Inspirus Audio Magazine. Not only will you earn my great appreciation, but as a thank you, you'll receive access to content not found in the episodes. You'll also receive advanced notification that a new episode will be released. You can subscribe at Inspiris Audio Magazine's website, inspiris-podcast.com. Inspiris Audio Magazine is produced by Spencer Webster and SP Webster Press. Music is provided by Leland Hirschman, and intro narration is provided by Mackenzie Webster. And remember, creativity is in your future.